0: My name is Merrill Jubro, CEO of Mark Research and the chair elect of the MS Marketing Research Program at Michigan State. I'm really excited and delighted to be part of Spartan Insights. Spartan Insights is a series of podcasts that I'll be hosting and interviewing one of the 350 alumni from the Michigan State Market Research Program and 50 board members. Today's guest on Spartan Insights is Bernard Brenner, the Senior Director, Advertising, Social and Retail Effectiveness Research. From Microsoft, Bernard, thanks so much for being a guest on Spartan Insights.
1: Great. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, Bernard, let's start with this. Just start a little bit about your your current responsibilities at Microsoft.
1: Sure. As technology often does, my responsibilities have actually changed from what the intro was, (laughs) and uh, my responsibilities now are looking over product, uh, marketing research, uh, and customer insight for uh, two core businesses and one core discipline area. So the two core businesses that I look after are what we call modern work Uh, at Microsoft modern work uh, essentially means that uh, that suite of programs that everybody spends a lot of time in, which is uh, office um, office 365, uh, which is your PowerPoint, your Excel word, so on and so forth. You also have uh, teams. So I look after teams, which is a uh, communication collaboration platform, which has, you know, been greatly influenced by the uh, happenings of the last uh, few months. And then the second book of work I look after is um, Security, Compliance, and Identity. And Security, Compliance, and Identity are kind of those things that uh, Microsoft creates just to ensure that both uh, the end user uh, as well as the corporation and sort of all the points and nodes in between kind of have a very secure uh, workspace and a very secure line to get things done. So it protects you from things like malware and phishing, uh, ensures that you are tunneled in and people can't spy on the work that you're doing. Um, It ensures that the devices that you're accessing the corporate network from, corporate network can identify as devices that you are utilizing uh, and that are not, um, you know, devices that are imposter devices or people trying to break into the network. So uh, it's kind of like what I call the less sexy part of the portfolio, but just the foundation that creates innovation and trust that really helps drive computing for, uh, you know, for corporations, small businesses and end users alike. And then the discipline area I run is uh, what we call our social intelligence practice. Um, this one's pretty exciting in that we go into the terabytes of uh, social data, organic raw social data, and we ask business questions and we write queries to try to answer those business questions. It's kind of a cool and innovative practice because uh, it doesn't have a survey bias. It doesn't have questionnaire bias. Uh, it has bias in audience, uh, but sometimes that's really cool and really fun to look at. It's relatively uh, fast and cheap to do. So uh, we're really excited about developing this practice. We've been doing it uh, for the last few years and honing the discipline every, uh, every month. So that's one that we're uh, continuing to work on to sort of uh, complement and uh, act as a substitute for primary research.
0: That's great. You know, with the pandemic, I want to follow up on one of the things he you said. I think it's kind of interesting. With the pandemic, obviously, it's taken some businesses and kind of really, help them springboard to the next level, and and really, from a revenue standpoint, I would say, has added to the company. Is that the case with Teams? Obviously, the communication device, everybody needs to communicate a little bit different than they did maybe perhaps five months ago. Am I safe to say that's a positive for Microsoft?
1: Yeah, it's positive for Microsoft. It's positive for a number of other companies as well, right, including the program we're talking on right now, which is Zoom. is very positive for Zoom. Yep. It's been positive for Slack. It's been positive for Google Meet. Uh, it's positive for, for Teams as well. It's a shared experience that all, you know, what we kind of refer to ourselves as information workers. It's a shared experience we all had some point during the month of uh, March or early April, uh, uh, people's lives changed, you know, virtually overnight. Uh, One day they're at the office and working the way that uh, they had always worked, uh, and then the next day they were at home, uh, and they were at home for a long duration of time. You know, these collaboration and communication uh, programs, um, all of them, uh, were absolutely necessary and critical uh, to make connections, to get work done, to, you know, um, see family, to try to have some sort of uh, social well-being outside of, you know, who's sort of uh, in your immediate family and your immediate pod to a degree. So, all of these um, uh, services, uh, you know, I hate to say benefited from COVID because it's it's hard to say anything benefits from COVID, but uh, they were instrumental uh, in helping people maintain communication and maintain connection.
0: That's great. So let's talk about COVID a little bit. I'm sure life has changed a little. I know it's changed dramatically for me, how I approach my day, the time I start, some of the things I concentrate. I've just dramatically changed. I assume the same is with you. Can you talk a little bit about some of those changes?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. There's so many things have, uh, have, uh, impacted. I, I would say I've gone through different stages and there's been, you know, literature written about this from McKinsey and I think BCG and kind of how people and how companies go through the, you know, the stages of adopting to COVID. Uh, I will be honest, right? Like in the very first part of COVID, we thought we were going to be home for two to three weeks and I was like, yippee, I don't have a commute. Uh, I can, you know, I can kind of, I can wear shorts to the office, right? Like I, I can just sort of like kick back uh, and relax and do, um, do my thing. And you know, I would say that feeling lasted for a couple days. and then you know I started to really miss some of my colleagues, right like I have uh, uh, I said in a in an office next to you know four people uh, that I thoroughly enjoy where you know we're always uh, pranking each other and laughing and you know doing doing the things that uh, that make you know work uh, work enjoyable. I always say if you're not laughing at work, you're not doing it correctly. Um, so you know i started uh, I started to miss those. I started to also figure out like it's really hard to turn off, right? When your house is your house and your office, you always feel like you are working in some way, shape, or form. I've always found it, you know, kind of uh, hard uh, to turn off. That was a, a couple things in the first few weeks as well. And then, when the kids uh, were sent home from school, you know, balancing the trying to get work done and trying to, you know, ensure they're getting some sort of uh, education, uh, that became really, uh, really tough as well. But then things kind of started to normalize, right? And uh, you started to get into a rhythm. For me, like that rhythm was spending some time with a with family between 8 and 9 uh, a.m., uh, working pretty hard between 9 and 12. I would then take some time off around noon to exercise for an hour or so. And then I would be back on around 1, 1.30, uh, and I would go you know, pretty much hard until 4 or 5, take a few hours off, spend with the family, and then kind of clean up email Uh, later that night. And that sort of became my rhythm. And as my rhythm, uh, you you know, uh, started to permeate through the household and others, uh, others rhythms, uh, specifically the kids, uh, their rhythms uh, did as well. I'll say another thing that was uh, that impacted me was uh, I actually stopped working on the weekends. Um, When I was in the office, I generally would catch up on email on Saturday morning, and I would, you know, kind of prepare for my week on Sunday. That seems to have stopped and uh, it seems to have stopped because I do most of that stuff on Friday afternoon because for the most part, there's, there's not many meetings. So those are, those are some, of the, some of the changes. I'd say an, another change, which is continues to um, uh, drive through and, and Microsoft is no different than any other company is because you don't have uh, an opportunity for informal uh, touch points for checkpoints, your calendar tends to be a little bit more, tends to be more full. Uh, it's more full with shorter meetings, shorter duration meetings. Yeah. Uh, and so you're on the line quite a bit.
0: You know, it's interesting. I echo a lot of the things that you say. I used to start work at 6.15. Now I start at 5 a.m., and because of that, I tend to be on a lot of calls, and I pace, so I used to do about, I don't know, 19,500 steps in a day, and now I do about 24,000. I've actually lost 15 pounds during COVID, so that's, I guess, one little positive for me, but there's been a lot of change, but you know, Since we're doing the podcast really for the students at the MSMR program, you know, change isn't great for for everybody, right? I mean, Bernard, if you think about it, some people are resistant to change. There's a lot of people resistant to change. You know, it wasn't like we saw this coming, right? Whether good or bad, we may have a new president down the road. We can prepare for that change, even if once it's announced, we have a few months to prepare, right? This change happened, like you said, overnight. Any advice to people who are a little bit resistant to change that might be coming into the workforce in the next, you know, six months or a year?
1: Yeah, I think uh, everybody's first reaction to change, um, you know, has some degree uh, of anxiety, right, has some degree of a feeling that doesn't necessarily feel good. And a lot of people will try to push that away. I think it's, I think it's healthy to recognize it. um, And it's healthy to understand that, you know, um, the immediate changes that happen to people, they're hard and they're hard to fathom. I would say one of the things that has helped me get through it, and you know, I talked about the first three weeks, and then I acclimated, you know, rather quickly uh, after that, is something that uh, Microsoft itself teaches uh, quite a bit, specifically under um, our new CEO, Satya, uh, which is uh, adopting a growth mindset. Instead of going, well, I really, you know, like I was talking about my four colleagues that I just love to laugh and giggle with and prank with uh, at work. So instead of dwelling on the inability to see them, what can I learn from where I am today? And then how can I use that learning to figure out how to prank them (laughs) online, right? How to interact with them um, uh, in, a, uh, in a different way. And you can apply that across team meetings and getting projects done and presentations and that sort of thing, right? So it's that kind of uh, adopting it and using it as a, as a growth opportunity. And again, I'm really big on laughter, right? So I was on a call about a month and a half ago with a relatively senior level person at Microsoft uh, and during the call, which was a video call, my son walks in the room and he gives me a hug, like he does generally anytime I'm on the phone um, or on a video call. And then he walks out of the room and everybody paused for a moment and somebody in the background said, Was that your son who's about eight years old? I said, Yes. And, he, and they said, uh, Was he in his underwear? I'm like, Yep, he was in his underwear. Like, that's just, that's just what he does. He just, he just walks around and kind of bombs my video calls. Uh, there would have been a time years ago, I would have been mortified by that. Now it's just like, Hey, roll with it. (laughs) It is what it is. So I think that's one of the fun ways to adopt a change.
0: That is great. So we're going to switch gears for a little bit. You've been a hiring manager for a lot of years. I mean, you, you've hired probably a lot of researchers in your career, I would imagine at um, a number of different companies. Can you talk a little bit about some of the changes That you look for today versus maybe 10 years ago when you hired a researcher with the soft skills, the hard skills, things that you really look for that are probably a little bit different?
1: Yeah, I would say what I would think of and what you would think of as sort of classic market researchers, right? People who are well-versed in primary quantitative methods, people who are well-versed in uh, good, solid, qualitative methods. That was sort of the rhyme and rhythm that i um, that I hired for because I was about you know ensuring that we were getting the work done. I would say about ten years ago or so, I started to flip that a little bit, and I started to hire people who were significantly more focused on business business problems, able to connect a research issue with a business strategy, able to pull in different kinds of data to answer the business question right so so there, there was a time in my career and I think in everybody's career, if somebody was stating a business objective or a research objective to you, you were automatically designing a questionnaire in your head. Now what I'm looking for are people who instead of designing a questionnaire in their head are also thinking... I can get that information from social. I can get that information from a telemetry data feed. I can get that from some sort of modeling that we're doing, right? Or I can get that information from syndicated uh, to start to think about more holistically where information comes from so we can answer questions Uh, With a bit more diversity and just simply faster, specifically working in the tech field. If you're not fast to get to a um, answer, if you're not comfortable providing an answer that is 80 to 90% to the pin as opposed to in the hole, then you're going to miss the opportunity to influence. Uh, So I would say that's one thing that I've uh, looked for. And with that is... You know, a mindset of agility, a mindset of experimentation, a mindset of resilience. Um, you know, uh, those things are, are critically important to um, a, a long research career in um,
0: technology. That's great. Now, there's some really good takeaways for the students here, Bernard. I really appreciate you expanding on that. In terms of your career, when you look at it, you've had a few jobs on the client side, you've had a few jobs on the supplier side. How about some takeaways and some benefits from each?
1: Yeah, I think when you uh, when you are on the supplier side, what I have found is is you're learning to do research, right? You have a you have a wide diversity of of companies and business issues that you can work on. And each one of those is going to provide you a unique opportunity to kind of learn the discipline of research. Everything from uh, design to, uh, you know, that thing in the middle where you kind of uh, invest a lot early in your career, but maybe not so much later in your career, which is, you know, the fielding and the field management uh, and ensuring you're getting the right people um, into the survey. You know, you learn a lot about analytics and analysis. You learn about different styles of reporting. And- because of the diversity of clientele that you have, right? You're, you're learning many different audiences. So when you're on the supplier side, it's just the sort of learning and giving back to the discipline. On the client side, one of the things I think is critically important is all those things that I said, you you hire companies that are experts in those things. And now you focus on the client side on kind of the ends of the research process. So the business problem identification I would say nine out of 10 times when I'm talking to a, um, a, to a marketer, to an engineer, to you know, a stakeholder internally, the question that they're asking for is not the question they need solved. So really, you know, during that conversation, thoroughly flushing out what is the problem that they're looking for? Um, and then partnering with an expert supplier, expert partner to help provide an answer to that. And then again, in the client side, it's like focusing on the end to ensure that you are delivering answers to the question they have and then being part of that strategy and that strategy implementation, right? And helping to drive the product and marketing strategies uh, forward with a true voice of the customer or voice of the audience that you're looking at. So it's sort of like the supplier side is really about uh, learning and, and honing and perfecting your discipline and the client side is, you know, what i found significantly more about uh, diagnosing and impacting business
0: strategy. That's really well said. I I must admit that a lot of people aren't as eloquent as you describing both of those roles and benefits. Really, I think the students are going to have a lot of information to, to jot down. And it wouldn't surprise me, Bernard, if they replay it a few times to get it all. So let's end with this question, which is, what advice do you give to the current students of the MSMR program at Michigan State? Just best practices, things that you've learned in your career. This is a crazy world that they're going to enter into the business world in the next year or so. What what's the advice that you have for them?
1: It's a great question. I think there's three things that are kind of floating in my head. First one is they're generally they are learning. How to be really good primary researchers, uh, and that is and, and those skills are super important, but one of the things that they don 't realize they 're learning is they 're learning how to listen to problems, design solutions, and provide thoughtful feedback on how to uh, move forward with uh, solutions uh, to those problems via data so there 's that analytical component that um, they are learning now and they will learn on the job uh, that can be applied to so many different disciplines like it doesn 't need to just sit in market research you can you can take those learnings and apply them to a product marketing role. Uh, You can take those learnings and apply them to a finance role, right? Like uh, a supply chain role. There's many different places that you can utilize what you're learning uh, within uh, market research and applying to different disciplines, right? So it's, it's that, I think that's one thing that's, one of those things If had I know then what I know now, uh, I would uh, I would say. Uh, the second thing I would say is, if you want a long career in research, if you want to end up to be a, a senior leader in research at a client-side company or a supplier-side company, somewhere during the middle of your career, learn something else about marketing or learn something else about product management. One of the biggest regrets I have was uh, sometime in the middle of my career, Nokia was offered a product marketing role, lead product marketing role for one of the up and coming units at Nokia a long time ago. And uh, I regret not taking that because I think if I would have spent two or three years as in a product marketing role, I would have been such a stronger researcher because I would have been able to relate to the business strategies. So I regret doing that. Um, and uh, anybody wow. who asks for career advice, I always tell them, if you have an opportunity to spend some time in a different discipline and you and you want a long career in research, please do so because it's just going to make you a, such a stronger, more well, well-rounded researcher. So I think that's the second piece of advice. Um, the third piece of advice uh, is, uh, is one uh, that some people want to hear and others don't, which is put in the time and do the work. Get in there, volunteer for projects that are stretch projects, volunteer for clients that are tough clients, Uh, volunteer to work with stakeholders that, you know, are kind of known to be brilliant, but hard and just weather through that. And you will learn so much from those experiences, not just the knowledge that's passed through, but you'll learn, you know, some of the things I spoke about earlier, which is agility, experimentation, grit, resilience. Um, uh, Those things are really important to, uh, you know, have have a good, long, persistent career.
0: Wow. Amazing. It really is. Bernard, I really appreciate your time today on Spartan Insights. My name is Merrill Dubro. Thanks for listening.